The Trader Cobb Crypto Show, talking business in blockchain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. It's your host, Craig Cobb, and I have got an absolute veteran in many different forms of business. The gentleman that I am speaking about is Johnny Fry. He is the CEO at Team Blockchain, and we're going to cover a couple of different bits and pieces within what he's doing, within the space, the ecosystem, what we see going forward, and how we can actually look to really get some, I don't know, what's the word we're looking for? We're really looking for traction, right? Johnny, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Good to meet you. All right, Johnny, let's kick it off from the very beginning. Uh, I'd love to have the viewers and listeners understand a little bit more about your background. I've done a very poor presentation of your services prior to where we are right now. If you could just talk to that a little bit to understand your pedigree, that would be fantastic. Yeah, sure, Craig. Well, first of all, I support a proper football team, and unlike um, something called Pompey down on the south coast of England, because you know, you, you've got to support the uh, the guns, but that's that's obviously a completely different story. We're going to edit that part out. But we, we could also talk about the rugby and how great England have been playing apart from the Taffers, but we better edit that bit out as well. We're going to edit that bit out too. <laughs> okay, so I started my business life um, in, actually, I set up a, a mutual fund company um, just prior to regulation um, in the UK. So that was um, in the mid-80s. And... Uh, I, I thought I was being jolly clever by buying a television with Teletext. Um, <laughs> the feed from the London Stock Exchange was a 15-minute delay as opposed to buying the old FT, which was 24 hours late. So I could phone up my clients in the day and say, did you know that the market's gone up, down, or sideways? And, and they were sort of kind of impressed that I, in theory, knew what I was talking about. And those sort of very, very simple days um, eventually led to us having a range of funds in Luxembourg, in the US, in Canada, in the UK, in Ireland, um, and uh, managing just over a billion and floating the company on, on the London Stock Exchange. So most of my life has been around regulation and looking after people's money. And having run the business for um, over 20 years in my sort of mid-40s, I, I just kind of wanted a change, wanted to do something different. So I sold out of the business. Um, delighted to say the business uh, continues to this day. It's a company called Premier Asset Management and currently manages just under $8 billion. So the sort of basis of the company um, is, is still there, which is, which, which is really great, really great. But in terms of my life, I got involved in a number of different businesses in the technology side, property side, packaging, consulting, training, and kept coming across this thing, blockchain, and didn't really understand what on earth it was about. I'm, I'm not a techie, um, but I could see how it could potentially change the way in which businesses operate. So set up Team Blockchain, um, three years ago, which in crypto land is an eon, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm just learning every day and find it fascinating what you can do with the technology of blockchain, but also these things called digital assets, mm. which some people call cryptocurrencies. But we call them digital assets because we think that what you're seeing is the evolution of a, effectively a new asset class. But it's not just about raising money. You can use them um, to get people's attention. You can get them to change their behavior. There's a very, very interesting economic theory called nudge economics, um, which is used by lots and lots of governments all over the world. And it's Do to tell. nudge. 
It's a, to nudge you to change your behavior. So if you look outside your front um, door or in your backyard, you probably find you don't have one dustbin. You have three or four for different types of recycling. The local authority have nudged you to encourage your behavior on a day-by-day -day basis to recycle. And in the same way, if I were to give you tokens um, to encourage you to keep using my services, I likes, shares, as in Facebook, or if I was to give you Mercedes tokens to encourage you to drive your car more efficiently, or if I was to follow the lead of J.C. Johnson, the, the huge American um, financial fast uh, uh, consumer company, they actually have a program in Indonesia where they're giving tokens to encourage kids to actually pick up plastic. So they don't want to give them money because unfortunately dad typically comes home and um, you know whips the money off and then goes down the local whorehouse or you know has has a few beers. It's but if what you happens, tokens, right in those in those countries with the unbanked, that's yeah. what happens. They get the cash in their hand, they go and do it, and whatever's left over left over is for food and for education. So what these tokens do, you can then change them at a, at a like authorized retailer. It's for books, it's for food, it's for clothing. Yeah. So you're, you're cleaning up the environment and you're helping the new generation. generation. And it's, it's, you're never going to make money out of these tokens. They're not designed for that. They are designed very much as a mechanism <laughs> to reward and change behavior. So we see that being a huge market. And that's really why we're involved in this, because we see it being really, really interesting and very relevant, not just for small companies, but for global companies and for governments. And look, Johnny, I, I don't want to out you here. Um, bear with me. Let me finish this. Uh, in the sense that, um, you know, you, you started your uh, first asset management business basically from a garage sort of operation, right? Sure. So, and you yeah. built that to a, a billion-dollar organization. So, ladies and gentlemen. Proper, proper money, Craig. Sorry? Sterling. Sterling, yeah, 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 right. Eh? Like Aussie paper stuff. Yeah, well, you still can't carry a gilbert properly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my point is this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Johnny speaks very humbly, and, and, and he's a very honest and true man. To, to build a billion-dollar business from your uh, shed, so to speak, uh, Johnny doesn't need money. Um, I'm, I'm, not trying to say, I'm not trying to say you're this God or all this, but your emphasis coming back to the how can we help that's what I'm really interested in because you talked about Indonesia. You, uh, you know, Indonesians are trade, like they're right next door to us. Uh, most Australians, and we have an audience all over the world. I'm not just speaking to Australians, but we go to Bali and we see the rubbish. We see the issue. We, we, we see the neglect. I fish on Bondi Beach. And what I see when I go and fish down at Bondi Beach, especially in summer, I remember last year I picked up 10 nappies. I filled my entire esky with rubbish, about three kilos of plastic and rubbish. And it's not because the people that were there don't respect the environment. It's the culture. They have not been introduced to the understanding that we only get one earth. And when you drop this shit, it stays there. And I'm really interested in understanding a little bit more about what you're doing in this space, because honestly, you're not here for the money. So ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to this. There is no product to pitch. There is no money to spend. Johnny is here to try and create something to improve the way we live. This was the real, you know, Nemoto vision to try and create something more. And I think it's a, it's such a noble cause. I'm not trying to blow wind up your backside because you are a scammer supporter and you are English and both of those things are both obviously very terrible, but it almost brings you back to an even playing field for the normal person. Um, I'm really, really, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you're doing and 
how are you looking to, I guess, build out on that? Because you've already achieved a lot in what you're doing. You say three years with uh, the, the um, team blockchain. Team blockchain. Now, three years doesn't sound to you like a lot, right? But in this space, that is a world. We've gone through 16 bloody cycles almost. What's the next step? What's your, what, what looks like success for you and your team? Like what's the out goal, the, the end up goal? Well, I, I think, you know, one of, the, one of the things that sort of motivates and intrigues us is if you look at the global remittance of cash, um, and what I mean by that is how much money is sent back by the poorest members of our societies, yeah. the security guard, the cleaner. How much is that sent back to Philippines, mm-hmm. to India, to China, yep. um, to Latin America? Well, according to the World Bank, that figure, and I only have 2017 figures at the top of my head, it, it was just over $650 billion, yeah. US dollars. And then if you look at how much does it cost to send that money back, yeah. Um, and courtesy of some of the financial institutions that we're all familiar with, well, they're, all, they're all as bad as one another, so I'm not going to yeah. mention any names. No. They're charging somewhere between 10 and 15%. Yeah. So the very poorest people in our society, we're, we're quite around. frankly grinding them into the ground and taking advantage of them to the tune of something like 60 to $90 billion. Yeah. 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 And, and when you point that out to people, they're, often they're quite horrified. Yeah. And, and they sort of say, well, there must be something we can do about it. And well, there is. There are different ways you can move money around. There's different ways. At the end of the day, all we're doing when we talk about a technology like blockchain, it's just simply to transfer, if you like, value. Yes. So you're actually moving. You're just moving bytes of information yep. um, from one person to another, and then you can hopefully take that information, take cash those tokens, and cash it out. And, and what's been holding the ecosystem <laughs> back is, is very, very simple. You know, the, the mutual fund managers around the world are managing something like $84 trillion. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry I talk in US numbers, but that, that's what... No, we, we, we speak the language. And if you look at $84 trillion and, you know, at its peak, cryptocurrencies were $800 billion. Billion. Not even a rounding error. Not even a rounding error. But it solves so much of the shit we have to deal with, right? But, if you, but you're not going to get the institutions in unless you have four things in place. First of all, you need to be able to get insurance to run your business. It's yep. called PI insurance. Yep. Number two, you yep. need to have a bank account. You need to be able to have a bank that's prepared to actually let you buy and sell and trade. You then need to have a regulated exchange because most mutual funds are only allowed to buy assets listed on a recognized exchange. Yep. And then fourthly, you need a custodian. So if I'm managing your money, I can't hold your money. It needs to be held by a third party to ensure that I won't go and steal it. Now, in the last six months, we've seen um, institutions. So in the UK, as a good example, we've seen the first clearing bank in 250 years actually now offering bank accounts to people in the crypto sector. Custodians, we've got people like Fidelity and Goldman Sachs now offering independent custodial services. Yeah, ours is cracking that too. Insurance. We've got a number of um, players in Chicago and in the Lloyd's market offering insurance. Offering it. We, we, we've got a we've got a company here in Australia. It's the first in Australia to offer Lloyd's insurance on crypto. So, so you've got the insurance. Sure so, the premiums, and, and now you've got 168 crypto exchanges, which is far too many. But you've got ICE. You've got the London Stock Exchange. You've got the Chicago Stock Exchange. You've got Nasdaq. You've got the Australian Stock Exchange. You've got seven in Thailand just been granted. So you've now got the infrastructure 
yeah. then it means the institutions can start coming in. Yeah. And they are seeing the cost advantages and the opportunities. So if you look at a different sort of type, but still related using the technology, you, you're familiar, Craig, with bonds. I, a company issues a bit of paper that says, I owe you a million dollars. Yep. And I give you a million dollars, you give me some interest, and we're all very happy. Yep. The trouble is, is that a million dollars is not the bond ticket size. No. Normally, you've got to raise $100, $200 million. Yeah. And it's just not in the preserve of small, medium-sized companies. Mm-hmm. But by using blockchain technology, Break it some up. of the people that are doing it, they reckon they can cut the cost by 90 90%. Yeah. So it now means using the technology, small to medium-sized companies can now start issuing debt and raising money to help finance and grow the businesses. And we've already seen this with the Spanish bank BVVA. Uh, there's a company here in London called Nivora who have actually just um, been issuing bonds on the blockchain, which is really, really interesting because it's opening up new ways for businesses to be financed. And then once those bonds are issued, well, why can't they be on an exchange and trade 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Like a normal bond, except for five days a week. Now, look, well, there's one thing I'm really interested in. Actually, it's not just one thing. There's a couple of things I'm interested in. Uh, the first is, I know you've got a really big um, uh, emphasis on education. Uh, look, let's be honest, Johnny. You know as well as I do that without education, we've got nothing uh, to develop this space. Now, obviously, I am an educator. Uh, this podcast, I don't make a buck out of this. This is purely education. You know, it's purely to help bring an understanding to people. And I, we, we've been reaching out to, obviously, the community that is already in crypto, We've got an emphasis on providing quality content to help people that are not encrypted to understand it beyond the whole, oh, it's you know, video game money and drug money and all that sort of crap that we know it's not. What sort of things are you, what sort of initiatives are you working with, backing, creating to help to, I suppose, educate an ecosystem that is outside of the blockchain space right now? Okay, well, um, in terms of creating the ecosystem, we, we run something called blockchain dinners. So once a month, we get a sponsor and we actually get 20 or 30 people um, and sit down and just look at what are they doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it. Um, every, every other month, perhaps about eight, nine times a year, we actually run, um, we call it a, um, an ICO meetup. Um, typically in London, we get sort of between 50 and 150 people together and we get people to come and actually talk about what they're doing from an exchange insurance or regulatory um, manner. So, and then finally, we produce something um, called Digital Bytes. So once a, once a week, we do an analysis of 10, 15 different companies all over the world. So it'd be Korea, Japan, France, Germany, America, Australia. What's happening in the blockchain and the digital asset space? So trying to make people aware because one thing we really feel quite passionate about is don't spend all the time looking at the technology. Yeah. Most people don't know how their mobile phone works. They don't service their own car yet. They seem to obsess about hot wallets and cold wallets and sharding. And how many transactions per second? It's more about how does it commercially help you or how can it help what you're trying to do? Yeah. So um, there's a company um, at the moment called Dovu, D-O-V-U. And they have a token, and they really don't want that token to go up in price at all. They're using the token with companies like BMW, like Renault, like Mitsubishi, to actually 
they come to them and say, we want £100,000 worth of your tokens, and we're going to use that to get information about how and why people are using our cars. So if you give me some information, Craig, I'll give you some tokens. Those tokens can then be traded in for maybe discount off your service or maybe into the Renault boutique or something like that. Yeah. But some of your listeners are probably sitting and saying, yeah, okay, Johnny, this is all very niche. So what? Okay, so if you would like to Google the main board director's salary for Shell, Worldwide Petrochemical Company, the main board will no longer max out on their salary and their bonus unless they can prove they've reduced the carbon footprint for their company. <clears throat> so how are they going to do that? They've already put in light-saving bulbs. They've already turned the heating down a little bit. And I would contend the way they're going to do it is going back to like JC Johnson, they've got to nudge their consumers. They've got to encourage them to act in a little bit of a more responsible, different sort of way. And so by giving them sort of like, it's a bit like air miles. So giving them an incentive to actually use that petrochemical company, but use it in a more responsible way, then it becomes a win-win for society, but also becomes a very interesting different asset class that other people could potentially trade if that's what they want to do. But it's not just about one or other. It's not being an environmental sort of, you know, tree-hugging nutter. It's about being a bit more respectful of the environment we live in and using the financial tools to encourage that sort of behavior. And, and that's what we find really, really interesting. Now, look, Johnny, you, you brought something up, which was um, your, I can't remember what you titled it, but your send out. Now, oh, digital bytes. Okay, digital bytes. Now, I know... Right now, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to you know, hit that little donkey on the head with the old <laughs> toy. Um, people are going to want to know how to get that. How, how do they get that? Is that a retail thing? Can they get it for free? Like, how, do, how, can, how can I subscribe to that? How, how do I get that information? Well, we, we, we send it out really to trade bodies, accountants, solicitors, and then they well, white label. Professional in, a professional. It's, yeah, it's, it's a professional thing. So they'll be able to go onto your sites in um, the next couple of weeks, and you'll have your version, your yep. branding, your white label, because what we don't want is we, we're just not geared up to cope with thousands of people coming to us. Yeah. So we do it for businesses to be able to help propagate and <clears throat> educate people, not, not, in a, not in a draconian way, but say, this is interesting. Did you see this? Are you aware of that? So it starts to get people That's to think, animation. and then they contact they contact your podcast or they contact their accountant or lawyer or whoever it is to say, I'd like a little bit more information. How could this impact on my business? So uh, get your viewers and listeners to um, you know, look at your website over the next couple of weeks and we'll have some back issues loaded up for them and they can see the sort of stuff that's going on. All right, fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. Get yourself across to tradercob.com forward slash, I think it's subscriptions. You'll find it in the menu bar. We're going to be getting some information for you guys on that, which is going to be very, very good because I want it. And if I want it, well, I'm going to guess that you want it. All right, so we talked about, or you talked about more so, uh, this new market, okay, this new asset class. And I am a big subscriber to this theory. I've been in financial markets nowhere near as long as you. Yes, I'm bald, but you are gray. So you went out there, okay? Uh, but look, honest to God, the, the whole mission of TraderCobb.com and what we do and how we do it is really about education, uh, sorry, educating the masses. Uh, we want to bring in the traditional investor, which I'm more comfortable dealing with, to be honest with you, based on my background. And of course, you are too, Johnny. You spent, what, 35 years, you say, in that industry. So there's a whole new asset class coming and it's very fitting 
because I've been speaking recently with a number of different fund managers and product providers and asset class managers and whatnot. And it's about providing liquidity to otherwise illiquid assets. So I've got a few opinions on that. And I know you're working something in that space too. Do you want to just touch on what you guys there at Team Blockchain are doing within that illiquid market to provide more people with more choice with their financial future? Yeah, sure. Well, we, we look at um, digital assets. We, we look at them um, like a wrapper. So when I say a wrapper, it's um, like a mutual fund. Yeah. Um, for perhaps your more um, sort of financial services tech listeners, it's like a medium-term note. So it's something issued by a bank. Yep. And the returns of your mutual fund or your medium-term note or your ETF that some will be familiar with, they're linked to maybe bonds or equities or inflation rates or commodities or foreign exchange, but it's just a tax wrapper typically. Yeah. But nearly all those wrappers, if you're lucky, they, they trade um, during market hours. Um, a mutual fund, you basically can buy and sell once a day is a, is a good example. Yep. Whereas a digital asset can be traded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it can be linked to anything, anything that you can think of. So it could be linked to a funny thing called property. So now I can work out how long have you held that digital asset for? And based on the time you've held it, I can pay you on a, the number of minutes that you've held it. So instead of saying, oh, we only pay the quarterly income um, at the end of the quarter based on if you're a holder at that particular time, at the end of the quarter, we look at how many minutes during the quarter did you hold it, and then we can pay you out that money accordingly. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, so what? Well, let's look at perhaps shares that you might hold in um, some of the Australian companies um, or someone like Apple in the US. Yeah. And if I go to your compliance or to the compliance sector and say, here's an asset and I can give you the income based on the number of minutes it's held, as opposed to some arbitrary value based on the income that's accrued over the last quarter, the, 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 one of the sole requisites of financial services protection is treating your customers fairly. Yep. So on one side, I have a vague, it's the amount of numbers in the quarter. Alternatively, I can be very precise and say the number of minutes. So because of these, and because of things like I can check with you before I sell you something, I can do a pre-authorization check to make sure I haven't sold you an inappropriate investment. Yeah. Or if I'm running a fund, I haven't exceeded the percentage I can invest into an asset class or a country. Now, those pre-authorization checks mean that I can run my business much more efficiently in a much more cost-efficient way. So we see the compliance department and governments actually bringing in these digital assets. But, but don't take my word for it. You know, look at um, the Iranian um, Paymon coin, which stands for covenant. And they're just bringing out a cryptocurrency for the government. Or the Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates who are having a cryptocurrency because they believe it's going to be cheaper for cross-border transactions. Oh, they're, they're very forward-thinking in that, in, that, uh, in that part of the world. And, and then you have good old Facebook, who everyone's heard of and some people love and some people hate. Um, you know, they're now coming out with Facecoin, which will enable you to transfer money using WhatsApp, initially trialled in India. And then going into the banking world, we've got the likes of um, Goldman Sachs, and now JP Morgan, yeah. coming out with their own cryptocurrency. Only reason they're doing it is they can see a, a first mover advantage. And I don't see how they make money out of the stable coin but what I can see is them enabling them to interact with their customers and actually you said more it. business. It's a market. 
It's it's it's, like, it's going to be. A huge I, I can recall through 2017, and I was very new <clears throat> to cryptocurrency, blockchain, and crypto assets. I think it's probably a little more mature name to give it. And um, you know, people think, "Oh, what do you think about this?" and "What do you think about that?" And I'm like, "Well." You know, Goldman Sachs, JP, all those coming out and saying, oh, Bitcoin's a fraud. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's like the only reason you take note of that is because you don't understand how their brains and models work. The reason they were saying that is because they don't have a product. The second, the literal second, they can make money off of that asset class, they will. They'll tell you it is the worst thing ever because they don't want to hemorrhage any clients to a new market that they don't have a foothold in. The second, I knew I was right before I said it because it's, it's, it's an understanding of how these major conglomerates work. Inve- investment banking, it's about making the shareholder money, right? And if you make the shareholder enough money, you also make yourself a shit ton of money at the same time. Now, if there is no product to make the shareholder money, well, then potential worst case scenario is that money floods away from your fund into a new asset class. So what are you going to do? You're going to say it's a fraud. You're going to say it's terrible. You're going to say to your clientele, don't go near this. It's the worst thing ever. And you'll keep them. You'll retain them. And then you go, oh, we've just done some research. And now we've got a product. And that product can be an absolute piece of dog S-H-I-T on the bottom of your shoe. But because they have the clientele, because they have the market, they can now offer that and they can make a cut out of that. And that is the way, ladies and gentlemen, investment banking works. And it will continue to be that way until things change. Now, one of the things that I wanted to touch on, Johnny, is that you use the word fairness. And I have done my FSA regulation in Australia. It's an RG146, but I can't remember what it is in the UK, but I, I, I got it, right? And I can remember, and I bring this back to, to something I did many, many years ago, and some of the questions was, what is more true? What is more fair? It's like, hang on, why can't it just be, basically they're putting lawyer speak in, you know, what is more fair, what is more true allows a gray area which lawyers can then go and litigate and fight, right? But you said more fair. Now, you're seeing the breaking up of uh, certain asset classes into a more fragmented, more inclusive marketplace as being something more fair because it's not just run by the higher echelons. Now, I see this as an in, oh, just such a valuable part and the easiest one to talk about is property. If I want to have access to blue ribbon uh, properties across the globe, let's say I've got $100,000 that I want to invest in blue ribbon. And when I say blue ribbon, I mean you know, New York penthouses on Fifth Avenue. I'm talking you know, big apartments in Moscow. I'm talking Paris, London, all your major blue ribbon you know, cities that don't yeah. go down that much. They just, they just are what they are. Population growth suggests that they'll have a dip but they're pretty safe. Now the tokenization and the breakup and, and it doesn't have to be the whole thing, but a segment of that allows a new market to come in that allows someone like myself who doesn't have a hundred million dollars yet to go and buy uh, all of these properties. It allows me to have the same level of exposure to quality assets should 
I decided to educate myself on that. I see that as a big step forward, not just for the developers, not just for the equity and stakeholders within these places, but also for the whole world. The more people that are fighting over a price, what does it do? Supply and demand, right? Yep. Well, undoubtedly, sort of, it's called tokenization or fractional ownership. Yes. Um, you know, to be fair, we've had this around for a number of years, um, and it was all really, to a huge extent, cut. You know, really kicked off originally by the Dutch back in the sort of 16th century. So it's not new. You know, when we saw joint stock companies, and you know, then back in the 18th or 30s, 1850s, when we saw um, basically Europe financing the U.S. railroads, and people were raising money and giving them bits of paper so they could actually then invest. Um, in railroads and in Australian gold mines was another big one for fractional ownership. Yeah. What this is is the digital version of it, yeah. and the reason that's important. If you look at look at the um, NBA in Australia, in New Zealand, in America, and what they did, they didn't sell the TV rights to a TV station last year. They sold it to Facebook because the new generation of people coming yeah, through, yeah, they don't at. sit down and watch TV. They're watching it on their mobile device. Um, on the go, yeah, and and therefore when you when you make investments, you know m the new generation coming through, they're not interested in going along and seeing a fuddy daddy stockbroker or bank or someone like that. They actually want to do their own research and they want to be able to trade when they want to trade, how they want to trade, rightly or wrongly. Well, and to be able to do it twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, because they're doing shift work or they're working long hours or whatever their reason, you know, a lot of people certainly in the West, struggle with digitization and a digital currency and digital ownership because we're used to feeling something very tangible with our, with our hands. But if you look in um, Japan, it's still the third biggest economy in the world and something around 27, 28% of 18 to 30-year-olds have a digital relationship. They have yeah, a meme. Okay. They have a cartoon a character there that too. they have a relationship with. So therefore, so, if you're prepared to have a digital girlfriend, it's a very easy jump to say, oh, yeah, well, I'll have digital cash. Well, look at Sweden. 90% of all transactions now are cashless. Look at China and WeChat. Yeah. When was the last time you went to an ATM to get cash out? You don't. It's all digital. That's one of the things that Australia has been a leader in is uh, we're not, we're not, we don't lead in too much, certainly not climate change, but this little thing, I'll, I'll give you that side of it, right? That, that thing right there, we've got this little little chip inside of it, right? See that? You can see the chip, ladies and gentlemen. You all know what that is. Uh, that allows me to go and just go beep and pay for things. Now, we have been, Australia's a really good test market for a lot of big businesses to test because we're a Western nation. We think the same way as the big markets, right? So they can spend less and test in Australia. We are uh, a, a very much forward-thinking in cashless society, but not in the way that we in the digital ledger and digital currency space consider it. It's because I don't carry cash. I, I, everywhere I go, my cafe has a little thing that says, oh, we're a small business, the fees, blah, blah, blah. We'd appreciate if you pay cash. I mean, I'd love to pay you cash, but I don't even know what the freaking notes look like. You know, we, we don't need money anymore. We just don't need it. Apple Pay's got their shit on lock, you know. The banks in Australia, I'm not talking about the rest of the world, I'm just saying for Australia, I, I literally, as long as I've got a bank card on my phone, I never need to have a dollar. Well, Craig, you know who needs money? Who needs cash? The your drug barons, your mercenaries, your money launderers. Yeah. 90% of all US dollar-denominated notes have traces of cocaine on okay. yeah. So if you want to move a lot of money around, you do it with a suitcase of cash. You do not 
use a digital asset that leaves a footprint. Yeah. It leaves a digital footprint forever on the blockchain. So the last thing you want to do is move a whole load of money around that leaves a footprint. Here I am. Yeah. And that's why the banks have been consistently being done for $100 billion worth of fines in the last 10 years. Look at HSBC recently. All the systems wrong. It's, uh, so, but it's those very banks that are f- worried about this new digital thing because they, they haven't until recently engaged. But now you're seeing in the last, I would say, the last six months, more and more banks, more to. and more institutions getting involved in this space and building the infrastructure that we need to get real critical adoption. But at the moment, the whole user experience is just horrid. You know, private, private words and numbers, 24 different words you've got to remember. Yeah, it's Hot wallets, cold wallets. Yeah. You know, we are getting there. We're seeing Samsung last week launch a... Blockchain yeah, enabled phone. On the phone. Um, you've got the Finney blockchain phone where you've got your phone like that, and then suddenly the, the cold, wa- cold wallet sort of pops up, and then it's hot wallet, and then it's cold wallet. Cold wallet, yeah. Unpowered. So little things like it's, we're getting there. We are working towards that outcome. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's what I mean by making it fairer because it enables small investors to actually get involved in investments. Look, the first ICO in, in Europe for a publicly quoted company. Um, was for a company called Naga, and they raised it's a, it's a uh, gaming company. They are it's involved in the game. Name, let's be honest. It's an unfortunate yes. name. Naga like reminds me of my, like my, my grandmother. Naga, Naga, Naga. Um, <laughs> but what it actually did was raise four forty million dollars from fifty thousand investors. Yeah. So we made lots and lots of small individuals. You know, we, we saw this week in, um, in here in Cambridge University in the UK, a company called Fetch.ai, um, which, you know, no, no surprise there, it's using blockchain and artificial intelligence. And they actually said the maximum you can buy is $3,000. The minimum is $20. And they end up raising $6 million, um, from 2,780 investors. So that was an average of about $1,700. Per person, yeah. That's now, you compare that to the normal situation, if you can do an IPO where the investment banks come in and they say, we'll underwrite it all for a fee. Yeah. So if other people buy it, we still get paid. And then we'll sell out to all our clients. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the clients get in at a pound, the share price pops up to pound twenty, And it's just the preserve of, you know, the funds and the very super, work, super high net worth investors. And there's no democratization there. There's no real liquidity. The rich get richer. Yeah. No, I hear. Look, Johnny, it's been an absolute pleasure. I could literally speak to you all bloody night. It's um, it, it's great getting your <laughs> You're a sad, though. That's why they're great. Uh, the team like Pompey, you know, that's the I trouble. Nothing better to do with my goddamn life than to go home and look at the results of Portsmouth, cry myself to sleep, wake up tomorrow and do another 16-hour day, Johnny. It's been an absolute pleasure there, mate. I really do, honest to God, I, your insights uh, – they're really, they're really well taken on. I've certainly appreciated uh, what you've had to say. I will say one thing to all the viewers and listeners out there. I'm going to get Johnny back because this man has more to give and I want to get more out of him. And I respect you, the listener. I respect you, the viewer. That You know what? We get to a certain point. We can't take much more on. Johnny, I really appreciate your time. Give me one thing. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing? Um, there's a really good, um, we've got a really good advert in the local and summer's catalogue. You can probably find us somewhere in there. Just look carefully. Okay. For those of you who don't know what Ann Summers is, I'm not going to tell you, but you can work it oh, out. Oh, they sell some great underwear. Get out of it. There you go. There's your, well, Valentine's is already gone, but enjoy it regardless, ladies and gentlemen. Look, Thank it's you an absolute pleasure, Johnny Fry, CEO 
at Team Blockchain. Thank you so much for your time, my good sir. And I'll speak to you again very soon. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time. Bye for now. Thank you. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast is hosted by Craig Cobb. All Trader Cobb courses, products, and tools can be found at tradercobb.com because experience matters.